Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully successes in life. Uh, today with me, I have Christopher Locks. And uh, he is a realtor here in the central Arkansas area. And so, Christopher, I'm glad that you joined us today on Doc Talks. No, thank you for having me. So when we talked about um, childhood, you said you had a pretty regular childhood as, as anyone would know it. I would say. Okay. Did you grow up here in Arkansas? Yes, I grew up on a farm in Hot Springs. In Hot Springs. Yes. What, what kind of farm? Uh, we called it a hobby farm. Like okay. it wasn't, it wasn't big, but it was just like everyone had full time jobs. But you know, then we had a few animals to take care of. Gotcha. In the evenings, so chickens and everything cows, but horses. Everything but horses. No horses. So you had it all. Pretty much. So what was your primary responsibility on the farm? Uh, well, since I got off school before anyone else got off work, my primary responsibility was kind of feeding in the evenings, mm -hmm. riding around the foiler up into different parts of the farm, and. Yeah, just make sure they're fed. Yeah, well, yeah, you got to, I guess, got to make sure um, that they're all taken care of, not just one particular spot. Was there something that you had to do there that you just really did not enjoy? The one thing I really did not like growing up, uh, there's two things I didn't like. Seeing mangled chickens and stuff from mm -hmm. being like if raccoons attacked them in the night or, you know, neighbor's dogs, coyotes, whatever. Um, I don't really think a six-year-old should be seeing chickens with their intestines rolling over all over the right, place. Right. And then I didn't like the um, the neutering. Mm. Yeah, that's not pleasant. No. To watch. I didn't like that part. Yeah. So I think you're a hunter. You do some hunting. Yes, I've enjoyed um, it. I'm an avid deer and coyote mm -hmm. hunter. Mm -hmm. Like I enjoy coyote more than deer. Yes. But I'm kind of weird in that if I kill a deer— and I know the deer meat that is being served to me is from the deer I killed, I can't eat it. Or if I go fishing, I can't eat the fish that I know that I caught. It's just something weird in my in know. my mind. So uh, <laughs> we try to just put it in the freezer and not label it. You not know? label it? Okay, yeah. so you just so, pull it out? Yeah, like we don't name them or anything. You, Today's a just, surprise. Yeah, it's, it's just a surprise. So um, what do you hunt? Um, well, I've recently just started hunting about okay. a couple of years back. Whatever. Yes. Right now it's just been deer, but yeah. I do want to broaden that. Mm -hmm. um, when I move, mm -hmm. I saw that there is uh, places to hunt bison. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I would like to go do that. I have uh, one of my friends has talked about us going to go catch pythons in Florida. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. And I want to go do that. Yeah. Well, you have all, you can take my share in doing that. Absolutely. I don't, reptiles and snakes are, are not my, my gig. <laughs> Uh, something else about Christopher here is that you uh, won Strongest Man Arkansas this year in your weight division, and last year you won Strongest Man Tennessee in your weight division. Correct. How does that? How does one even get involved in doing that kind of stuff? I got involved by, I guess, just randomly seeing it on YouTube, Strongest Man, 
And then I started following it and realized I really like this. And that's just looking for gyms that have it, which is very hard to find, especially here in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed it's more of a Midwest and Northern sport. But I mean, it's just. To you, it's fun. I love it. How I've, you know, really stepped into it. I don't know. Like I said, I probably just saw a YouTube video of the world's strongest man mm-hmm. and it just clicked. I liked it. And next thing I know, I found maybe some gyms that had equipment or I found other individuals that, uh, you know, are in the sport and one thing just led to another and now I'm here. Gotcha. So what, what is your, uh, bench press personal record? So I don't, so you I don't get asked this constantly. Okay. Cause I guess that's a definition of strength and it's not. At least not in my book. Um, well, well, you're the professional. Yes. So, so, so strong men do not bench press. Okay. We don't compete deadlift. in it. Is that- we, we do deadlifts, but uh-huh. bench press is not something that we compete in. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that we train per se. I have hit 405 pounds once, but no, I don't train bench. Okay. So what is your personal record of whatever it is that that you focus primarily on? That's also a very broad question. And the reason why <laughs> I know, I don't, I'm not trying to be rude. Um, there's always something different. And the strongman competitions, they're never going to have the same thing, such as, for example, powerlifting has the same thing every time. You know right. it's a bench. You know it's a deadlift. You know it's a squat. You mm-hmm. know it because there's nothing else that could be. Strongman is going to have different events every single time, and the events might have the instruments involved will be different every time too. Gotcha. So the basic is just to be strong as possible in all areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. For an example, my personal best for a deadlift uh, which also depends how far off the ground it is. I'm going to say in this example, on the ground, like a normal deadlift, I have hit 600 pounds. Mm. So let me let me rephrase the question this of way. Course. What was your personal best that you were the most proud of okay. in whatever okay. it was that you did? So the one thing I thoroughly enjoy the most because I lift the most weight on it, so obviously I'm going to like it the most, mm-hmm. is an 18-inch deadlift. Okay. Uh, which basically is a, the bar is 18 inches off the ground. Mm-hmm. So they could the, the sides could be whatever. doesn't matter as long as the bar itself is 18 inches off the ground, which puts me uh, right below my kneecap. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a video of me hitting 880 on that. Oh, wow. I can't do that right now because I yeah. took time away from it, but that's my ultimate favorite. Yeah. Because yeah. wow. it's the most wish. So why wouldn't I like that? Yeah. And w- was that in a competition? That no, you- it was in the gym. Okay. All right. So uh, you you lift weights and you are now a realtor uh, within, you started in October. Is that I got licensed in October. Yes. yes. Um, how is that in the Arkansas market now, even with COVID and interest rates and all of that kind of stuff? Is it kind of fairly normal within what you expected or? Nothing is normal anymore. <laughs> True. Um, no, normal in, is a relative term anyway. Absolutely. And going into real estate, I had false expectations from reading, watching things on TV, et cetera. It's been an absolute shift, total 180 from what I thought. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think COVID is even relative anymore in the real estate market. No one really cares anymore. Um, but it is wild right now. And it's, it's an everyday new learning experience. Yeah. But it's nothing like I thought it would be. Yeah. And and so with it being nothing like you thought it would be, mm-hmm. is it still something you enjoy doing and are going to look forward to do? Or are you a little and somewhat disappointed? Not disappointed. Okay. Everything that I thought was wrong or negative is a lesson to be learned and a challenge to overcome for the me in 10 years. Yeah. 
So I, I say a lot, fail is the acronym for mm-hmm. first attempt in learning. Yeah. And, and failure is not final. We just got to take that and learn from it. Absolutely. So you are, how old are you? I will be 31 in two 31. weeks. You look like 22 or I 23. get that every day. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I hit puberty really late. <laughs> I've been aging like fine wine. You should yeah. see me two years ago. Yeah. Not a good look. Well, um, so you're going to be 31. Yes. And you went to college mm-hmm. for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your what was your kind of thought of what you wanted to major in when you first went into college? I had the thought of every 18-year-old. I, I think I just want to be in college because it looks cool. It's what the parents tell you to do. It's what everyone based your success in life on is having some sort of education. And I understand that. When I first got in when I was 18 at UALR, uh, I didn't know what I was going to major in. I just knew I'm here to take classes and mm-hmm. I'm just doing what I'm told. Um, I've tried different majors. I've tried just a regular science degree. I've tried nursing, pharmacy, uh, veterinarian, um, surgical tech, just where I thought I could make money and be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'm happier now um, being my own boss because I am my own boss. I make my own schedule. I do what I want when I want. And there's no ceiling for mm-hmm. opportunity in real estate. I don't have another individual dictating my salary, telling me when I'm supposed to be here, when I'm supposed to leave, tell me how long my lunch should be. I do what I want. The other day I went and saw a movie in mm-hmm. the middle of the day because I can. So um, uh, I think college- You should have invited me. I would have told my I went boss saw, I had to I should have. I didn't think yeah. about it. I'm sorry. I went and saw Black Widow, but I just sorry. sometimes want some me yeah. time. I understand. Um, I am thankful for college mm-hmm. teaching me that aspect. And teaching me that I'm not one of those that needs to be told. Like, I probably would do terrible in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's important, though, for us to point out that mm-hmm. the college isn't for everybody. No. And so when you go into college, you really kind of need to know what your end game is, you know, what you're there, because, I mean, you could get thirty, fifty thousand dollars in debt in just in one year mm-hmm. of of going to school. So um now in in college at some point in there you got married. Yes. Okay. So how old were you when you got married? I should be able to answer this. <laughs> I'm actually having trouble thinking about it. Um twenty one. Okay. So you were really young. Oh yeah I was very young. How how old was she? Two years younger than me. Yes. So okay. So how did y'all meet? Facebook. Facebook. But we also went to the same high school. Okay. We didn't know each other at the high school. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a couple of grades below me, but we were both physically present at the same time in high school. Okay. And then just kind of, I guess, Facebook a couple years later, something like that, do okay. the math. So did you did you contact her or did she contact you initially? I really don't remember you who don't. messaged you first. <laughs> I really don't remember. Yeah. Well, we were talking earlier. Yeah. I don't I don't know if you friended me or if I friended yeah, you. Right? No. Yeah, so uh, it gets kind of uh, muddy in the water sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, but we did start messaging and yeah. then we met up, obviously, right. in person. Yeah. Um, so, um, that, like I said, that's a young young time to get married. Uh, and statistically in that age of getting married, um, it's a higher divorce rate within that time period. And from what I understand, you did eventually get divorced. Correct. And how, so how long were you married prior to divorce? Three and a half, four years. Okay. 
So I might be out by a few months. I'm not good at this. <laughs> okay, that's fine. It's fine. So uh, you don't have any children? No children. Okay. So what was what was that relationship like in the beginning? In the beginning? Uh, yes. You ever seen a Notebook? Yes. Yeah. There you okay. go. So uh, it's all puppy love in the beginning. Everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. And since we're both young, obviously we don't know how to argue appropriately. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to fight like adults. So it was like You're just screaming, yelling, going screaming, yelling. Absolutely, you can. yeah. There was yeah. absolutely no referee for anything. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, when you're dating, mm-hmm. you just have each other to pull down. Yep. But when you're married, then you can bring their family into it, you know. And so you've got all kinds of people to Lord. to talk about then. So in in this relationship, where did it really begin to kind of fall apart? I'm sure it kind of fell apart long before I knew, or she. You know, choices made today are affect tomorrow. Um, I would say the last, blatantly the last six months, but mm-hmm. I bet it started before that too. Okay. Can you tell us what went wrong? What was the cause? This is what I like to tell people when they ask. Um, we were young. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what we were doing and we could not get along well enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the truth. Yeah. Um, I made mistakes. She made mistakes. We were just, we were kids. We yeah. didn't know what we were doing. So in, in that breakup, it was, did it, um, you know, there was there abuse? Was there, um, you know, physical things that were happening? Was there infidelity? Was there any of that? Or was it just simply, truly that you just couldn't get along? We truly could not get along. And I think that was the ultimate end of it. Mm-hmm. So it got to a point of where you both just were, we're not going to win in this situation. Nothing and- could be agreed upon. Even the most simplest of things would cause just destructive arguments. Yeah. So after after that relationship ends, and um, would that really have been the first real relationship of your life to someone that you even thought you would get married to or had there been love prior? No. Okay. I mean, I, I did obviously love prior, but mm-hmm. I was a teenager. I don't know what that was. Yeah. I was just feeling things. So this was really your... First big one. First big yes. love. And so I'm sure that that had a great impact when you got divorced. It did. So did did she initiate that she wanted out or did you initiate or was that the one thing that you did agree on that you didn't want to be together? We agreed on it, but it was she initiated it. We okay. sat down and she said the words that no one wants to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I knew in my mind that this is the right thing to do. So at that moment when she said, I want a divorce, Mm -hmm. do you remember what kind of was running through your head in all of that moment? Not per se. Um, I know that I was hurt. Mm -hmm. I know I felt hurt for a fact. I remember the environment and what was going on. We both sat on our bed um, in our home over in Hot Springs. And um, it was just, I was hurt. I know that Mm -hmm. much. Did you feel betrayed? I think that's natural, yeah. Yeah. Did she show any type of remorse or anger or loss the moment that she told you that she wanted a divorce? Absolutely, yes. We cried. Yeah. Uh, But that crying together didn't reconcile anything? No. So were you together after that point, or did you separate then? We separated. And then, of course, it took... Easily another six months for everything yeah. to be finalized. Maybe longer. I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. I did end up moving. 
Okay. After that. And that did you moved to Little Rock? Yes. Okay. I picked up and started over in Little Rock. Okay. So you've been in Little Rock now, my math is right, seven years? Uh, I did move away a couple years. times in between okay. that, but it yeah. was a few months on. Yes. Okay. To answer your question. So do you have any contact with her today? None. Okay. And did you do that on purpose or is that just kind of the way that it happened? The contact? Yes. I would say that. I did it on purpose. I do that with every, um, any breakup. I don't stay in contact. If we don't have any bills together or children or whatever, in which mm -hmm. I don't, there's no reason yeah. for us to speak. Has she reached out to you to no. talk to you? Okay. So this all evolved into depression. Yes. Okay. And in, if you could, just in your own words, define what that depression looked like for you. I wasn't depressed about the divorce. My depression, even to, I wouldn't say I'm depressed today, but the thought that causes it is my lack of where, of achievements of where I want to be. And I'm just recently becoming comfortable with not being where I want to be because I have such strict standards for myself. But back then, I was so troubled at the fact that here I am 24. Uh, I'm moving back to my mother's house in Little Rock. I've got some BS job. Uh, I don't have a car. This is not where I thought I would be at 24. So in essence, you felt like a failure. Yes, absolutely. At the young, young age of 24. Mm -hmm. um, and so how did that depression manifest, though? So you had those feelings, but what happened physically uh, within that? depression time did you recluse into the home and not see anybody did you i did shut off a lot of folks i did i would say i was a jerk like i was mm -hmm. probably not enjoyable to work with to mm -hmm. be a friend with i definitely drank a lot of it of course i drink today it's whatever mm -hmm. i don't think overthink that part but back then i was probably not in a just a healthy state of mind i would say okay and and so, you know, a lot of times that that does depression manifest as anger, yes. especially when you feel like you're a failure. Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of want to in some way overanalyze other people to make them make you feel like they're a failure, too. So then you don't feel as bad. And when you can't get that feeling, then you lash out in anger. Um, and, you know, typically. Uh, we hurt the ones that we love the most when it when it gets into that point. Right. So in in that de that depressive state, did you have a job that you were were going to, mm -hmm. or uh, what were you doing then for um, work? Well, when I first moved back to Little Rock after the divorce, um, I started working at PFG okay. Performance Food Group. Mm -hmm. I drove a uh, I don't know what you call it. It's not a forklift, but it's one of those loader things where you speed around. Okay. And loading that. And I did that yeah. at night and uh, hated that. Then went to be a security guard at a, an apartment complex on 65th Street. Oops. That tells you anything. <laughs> that tells me a lot. Yes. So let me tell you this. Okay. The sidebar here. All right. My son is adopted. Okay. We picked him up at the liquor store on 65th Street. So Which one? Uh, the one right there off of 30. Just, you know, right off. Oh, it okay. It is 30, right? That. Yeah, on the bottom yes, it's that goes through there. Yeah, and so I laughed about it because I told my wife, we literally can tell him we found him at a liquor store. Mm -hmm. You know, So I was always told, you grew up under a rock, and that's where we found you. But, okay, back to your back to your story. Security guard, So that was obviously not safe. Yeah. Now, um, was, it, was it the apartments that's like there's the storage building place here, and then the apartments 
are back there. It's kind of a Hispanic name. The apartments the, were the, called St. John, I believe, St. John's Apartments, and okay. they are down the road from the intersection of 65th and I want to say Geyer Springs. Okay, okay. It's still not a good right. situation. Let's yeah. just be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, none of that around there is no. not anywhere you want to be caught, and even I, in daylight. No, and um, I didn't have a car, so there were mm. times where I walked home. Oh, wow. When I got off my shift. Yeah. And and for our listeners, 65th Street uh, is is not a good area, but there's very a lot of violence and um, you know carjacking, shooting, drive-by shootings, yep. murder, mm-hmm. drug use. I mean, it's just uh, the plethora of evil, I guess, as as we could say. It's no point in, in that area. So even then, you know, uh, thinking about that, you're a security guard here. And then you're having to walk home. So if you made somebody really mad who lived in those apartments, they literally would have an advantage because you're walking. Yes. So did it? Did you ever have a physical altercation with anyone there? Not physical. Okay. But it could have went there. Okay. And and so were you? Were is it fair to say you were still in somewhat of a depressive state while you were working there? Hundred percent. Okay. Every time I had to walk. Mm-hmm. To any location, I was mad. Every time I had to ride the the it bus around, mm-hmm. I was mad. Yeah, I stayed pissed off. Yeah, and and it was solely because you felt like a failure. Yes. In your story, moving along, there came a point where you attempted suicide. Yes. Okay. Um, do you remember what year that was? Yes. Kind of. Can you tell me about that? It is. I may have it wrong on the time frame. I believe it was during the separation. Mm-hmm. It might have been before. I really don't remember. Okay. Um, I do know that I spent Thanksgiving and a um, rehab for suicide uh, individuals and those who hear voices. And I don't know all the terms mm-hmm. for it. Sure. But um, I remember that very well. I had to spend my Thanksgiving in a rehab facility for okay. that. So what what was the emotion leading up to the suicide? If you weren't divorced yet, there wasn't presumably the anger of failing. Mm-hmm. So what was that? What was what was bothering you there mm-hmm. that sent you into that tailspin? So I've gotten so much older since then. It's crazy. Um, it's not the years. It's the mileage. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. <laughs> I would say that I could not control my feelings and express express them mm-hmm. effectively. So I'm sure my mind had like 30 different things going wrong. Like, oh no, there goes the wife. We can't live without this love hurts. There's a physical pain in the chest. What are you doing? If you can't be together, you don't even need to be alive. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That was probably what was going on just in like a heightened state. So it, it sounds like though that you didn't really have somewhat of community with other friends that that you could express those feelings to either, or was it that you didn't express feelings to anybody? I didn't express to anybody. Now, uh, backing up just a little bit, do you think in this part of the world, I'll say, uh, young men growing up at home are told we're not supposed to express our emotions. We're men. Mm-hmm. Toughen up. Yep. Go on. So do you think your lack of ability to express emotions was because your emotions were suppressed due to masculinity? Yep. Okay. So once you kind of figured that out, then you 
you don't have anybody to express emotions to. And so it would be natural then to be angry. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you had had somebody at that point who you could go to and say, I'm just a failure. You know, I'm just this, I'm that, I'm this and that. How do you think that would have been differently? I had people I could have went to. It is not due to the lack of Mm -hmm. support. Okay. I could have spoke to my mother. I could have spoke to my father. I had my best friend, Stephen. I had people. Mm-hmm. I chose not to speak out. Right. But if you had. If I had sp- spoken out. How do you think they would have responded? There would have been love. There would have been support. There would have, they would have done everything they could mm-hmm. to, I don't know, you know, affirm me that that's not true, that, you know, I'm doing well. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm loved. I'm, you know, you've got mm-hmm. roof, food, cool. you've got everything you need. There's right. no reason to feel these things. Right. And, and, you know, I tell people who are depressed a lot of times, however you feel, it's okay to feel that way. Yeah. Just don't unpack and live there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's kind of where, you know, as children we're taught we're not supposed to be angry. Well, you need to express that anger in a healthy way yeah. and then move on to another emotion. Um, and so what that does for us as an adult is that we still fall under that adolescent thought of, I'm not supposed to get angry or I'm not supposed to be sad. Or, you know, there's no crying in baseball kind of <laughs> ordeal. Um, and so we don't know how to express it. And so then as we get older, we don't express it because we're thinking that we're not supposed to, which then ultimately leads to our mental health demise. Yes. Now, in, in, masculinity, was there a point of a time in your life where you thought, okay, I need to do something that makes me a man? It's definitely the past couple of years. I want to say that there was, I grew up with the notion of what a man's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my uh, biggest, you know, thoughts on failing because mm-hmm. I wasn't doing what I thought I was supposed to do. It wasn't though that you had any type of feminine fin- equality or, or qualities. It was that you needed to get stronger in masculinity. I think both of those go hand in hand. Okay. Kind of, maybe. Uh, we'll discuss that off the air. Absolutely. But um, that, you know, when we, when we move into those areas, though, that feminine quality kind of leads more towards the needing and the wanting of of things and and the expressing emotion mm-hmm. and feeling somewhat entitled to to people uh, you know allowing you to express their emotion in any way that they want um, is that the kind of thought that you had about yourself at that time? I would absolutely say that my thoughts were feminine thoughts. Okay, I needed, I wanted. And I expressed it, and expressing it in itself was feminine. Okay. Did did you ever act out in a feminine way, in a physical, whether it had been in a relationship or in things that you were looking to fill a void? Act out how? Once again, psychologically, yeah. I'm not saying that this is you. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when men come to that point of where they're trying to shed feminine qualities to for masculine. One thing that that happens is they become hypersexual, um, and they start acting out in that way oh. to feel 
somewhat dominant over a woman. Yeah, I did that. Okay. Um, or on the other hand, uh, there are things that people act out sexually um, as as a bisexual so that they feel dominant over men, you yeah. know. And so, um, but then also those qualities of things aware, okay, I used to do this and I'm not doing this anymore because that's not manly. I do as well. Okay. That one. So, not the middle one. Not the, <laughs> clear that up. Yeah. We'll, we'll clear that up right. for sure. Um, so when you begin to act out, though, sexually, and and I, I presume that, you know, well, I shouldn't assume anything, but typically when that happens in the younger male, it's not in a relationship. It's one night stands and yes. things of that nature. So that's what you experienced. I Being promiscuous. Mm -hmm. Yes, I did a lot of that. Yeah. So in that, though, what I have found uh, personally and uh, with, with people I've worked with is that for the moment, it feels really good. But the next day, you feel really empty. I agree. And so what happens is we kind of look at that promiscuity as alcohol. We feel really good when we're drinking, but the next morning we're hungover and we feel empty. Yes. And so if we're not careful, we can get to a point of where we have to have that intimacy from somebody in order to feel whole. Mm-hmm. So did is that kind of the feeling that you had as well in those those times? Yes, in those times, yes. What would happen when the girl thought it was more than just a one night stand? How did you deal with that? They always thought that first off. Yeah, which is I mean, look at you. Why, what, why would other, they not? That's a whole other topic. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't opposed mm -hmm. to forming a new relationship. Mm -hmm. Never been opposed to the idea. Mm -hmm. Should there be you know a one night stand in the beginning? That's fine. Um, if there was somebody that I didn't want to be with on a more personal level, I was honest about it. Yeah. And so I assume that that wasn't always well received, though. No. Yeah. In this this time, going back to to your, your suicide attempt, uh -oh. of course, you've got all of these anger issues and all of this things are trying to fill a void. A lot of time that does happen after a suicide attempt after you get out of rehabilitation program, if there isn't support mm -hmm. from a mental health professional, that we start trying to fill these voids in other ways. Going back to your suicide attempt, where were you when you attempted suicide? My apartment. Okay. Alone. Yes. Presumably. Yes. And how did you attempt suicide? I took every pill in the house I could find. Okay. Every one of them. And, and what happened? After you took all of that medicine, it took a minute. I don't think this was a call for help. I knew I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. um, put on my best clothes, and mm -hmm. I did that. Mm -hmm. And then I laid in bed, and I remember being on the floor when I heard my roommate, who's also my best friend Stephen, coming in from I don't know where he was at work or something. And um, I remember crying out his name, and he came into the bedroom. He's like, "What's up?" And he sees me on the floor, mm -hmm. and I think I had blood in my mouth or whatever. I remember there being blood stain on the carpet. Mm -hmm. And then we had this little dog that I, I hated that dog. <laughs> but she knew something wasn't right because she came over and laid next to me. Mm. And so um, he panicked. He called 911. Next thing I know, I'm in the hospital. And I spent a couple of days there, I believe, at least one night in the ICU, maybe two nights in the ICU. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. This is 
lots happened since. And then I was court ordered to go to the rehab facility. From a doctor, presumably, that involuntarily committed you through a court order. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they yeah. told me you don't have a choice right. or we'll get the cops. Right. And I was just whatever. One of the doctors told Stephen, who told me, so I didn't hear this straight from the doctor or anybody else. Mm-hmm. I just heard it from Stephen, told him that if he would have found me, quote, 40 minutes later, mm-hmm. I'd have been dead. Yeah, That's what I heard. So I'm trying to say this in a way that's not insensitive. Um, not to you, but <laughs> I'll, I'll hurt your feelings. Uh, oh, my okay. listeners, I don't want anybody to not listen anymore. Okay. But how did it feel to be at the point of where you felt like a failure and then fail in attempting to kill yourself? That told me right there that there's something I'm supposed to do here and it's not finished yet. That's how I took that. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, total opposite, but... I had something I needed to complete, which is why despite going into what I would call probably, you know, more intense depression, I've never tried again because mm-hmm. I know that if it didn't work the first time, I'm here to do something. Yeah. And and so when, when I have spoken with people who have attempted suicide, yes. a lot of times what they say is that it wasn't necessarily that they wanted to die. It was that there was no other way to make everything right. And so would that kind of be your expression there too? Is no, that, I wanted it oh, you and wa- I almost got it. Okay. You wanted to yeah. die. Okay. So you had felt like you were a failure to the point of where you didn't care if there was any possibility that it could be better. You were just, you, you were tapped out. You were tapped done. Out. Saw no possibility. Yeah. Nothing. And I see you, of course, they send you to a rehab and I'm, uh, you were court ordered, you were there at least 72 hours. Yes, I was there for three days. Okay. And then, so then you're released to who? Elizabeth came to pick me up. Which is, who is Elizabeth? My ex-wife. Okay. And what was that conversation like? I know, I think they just were trying to be nice, but at the same time they were disappointed and disgusted. Mm-hmm. At least her family was. Yeah. Which they did tell me at another point, I don't know how much later, a couple months later maybe, mm-hmm. that they thought it was cowardly of me. Mm-hmm. And I walked out the room. Yeah. I, unfortunately, you know, being told that it was selfish or, yep, yep. or you, that. You were ca- you're a coward mm-hmm. or you just couldn't be man enough to make it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are all all things that... that People who attempt suicide here. Yeah, they can kiss my ass, honestly. Um, That's how I feel yeah, about it. Well, the 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 thing with that though is that if if you had not resolved that there must be something left for you to do, mm-hmm. then that could have drawn you into another suicidal ideation yes. that followed through and be successful mm-hmm. that time. And so I just for the benefit of our listeners, it's very important how we address people who have attempted suicide. The things that we say can make a lifetime difference of, well, you're just a coward for doing that. You're being selfish as opposed to, I'm sorry that I wasn't there so that you felt like you had to do this. I'm sorry that I wasn't there for you because that would have meant a whole lot more to you Mm -hmm. than obviously being called a coward, but even just picking you up, it would have meant more to you if that would have been how they responded to you. So 
you're now discharged from the hospital. Yes. Your ex-wife picks you up. Mm -hmm. Where do you go from there? Like I said, I, I got the time frame maybe off. Okay. Because I go back to our, our home. Mm -hmm. So we're either separated or almost separated. I really don't remember. Okay. Because it was all very close to each other, if anything. I just remember she was there to get me, mm -hmm. and we went back to our home. I was in college at the time, again, going back to school. It's kind of a blur, to be honest. I remember I was on medications. Of course, they stuck me on several from the mm -hmm. rehab place. Ironic. Yeah. Well, there's a reason it's called practicing medicine. Right. That was terrible. Oh, my goodness. Not to change the subject. One of them was a sleeping medication, mm -hmm. and it made me have nightmares mm -hmm. about demons that would come and yeah. attack me, and they felt very, very real. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I still get those sometimes. Yeah. Our, our brain as a coping mechanism sometimes represses those yeah, details. Yep. Um, so we don't bring them forward. So uh, you mentioned earlier you, you don't feel suicidal now no. or depressed now. Mm -mm. For lack of a better term, how did you pull yourself out of that depression? Oh, it was nasty. Three to four years after the incident, which is drinking, being promiscuous, not channeling my emotions very well, piss poor handling any aggression I had. And of course I had relationships after that and some were successful for over a year. I would call that successful. Mm -hmm. And then just trial and error, I would say, and a lot of talking to myself. And I think that's made me like very mentally strong today mm -hmm. to where I have more stress than I've ever had. I've had more responsibility than I've ever had, and I have more times where I feel down. But I wouldn't call that depression because I just, I, I it's just a mental game at this point. Mm -hmm. So you you said that you're not depressed at this point. Um, how would you feel if I told you that you were depressed? You just didn't realize it. I'd brush it off. I don't care. Okay, honestly. All right, but if that depression was somehow causing you to not be able to excel in some areas, would that be serious enough for you to address it? I'd address it if it means I am not succeeding. Mm -hmm. So at what point in your life are you really going to address the hurt that took place in your heart when you got to the point of suicide? Well, what happened a long time ago? Mm -hmm. I've forgotten all about it. I can't even tell you half the story now. Mm-hmm. Okay, psychologically here, yeah. that's a dangerous place to be. Mm -hmm. We can say, okay, hey, I forgot about it. I've repressed it. And th that's essentially what we've done. But there may come a time, and I want to emphasize may, mm -hmm. come a time where one little thing triggers all of that that's in there. And so we got to be really careful in how we do everyday life to make sure that we're not uh, repressing emotions that we had prior you know, if you feel like you're failing at something that you are able to say to somebody, mm -hmm. hey, I'm feeling like I'm failing. How could I do this differently? What could, from your perspective, I could do, whether you take their advice or not, yeah. that that you're open to even hear that or to tell your now fiance um, who is taking you away from us to, to Phoenix <laughs> uh, to be able to say to her, I just, I don't feel useful to be able to have those point in times where okay i've got this and i'm succeeding in this and i'm succeeding in this and i'm doing great in this area but at the end of the day i really don't feel useful 
Mm-hmm. Do you ever have those times now? Yeah. And that's something I got to figure out. Yeah. That's called depression. When we see that and we know that, mm-hmm. and there has to be ways that we begin to move forward yes. in that. Regression, while as a coping skill, is not preferred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'm not saying this as as a mental health professional. Um, a lot of people would say, "Well, he's just telling you need therapy, and he's a therapist, so that's why." Yeah. You know, a roofer's going to tell you need a new roof because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but but genuinely not. Um, and I, I'm sure that you have heard the saying that the eyes are the window to the soul. Yes. When you spoke about specific things, your eyes gave away that that hurt was still there. Even when you said, I'm not depressed now, mm-hmm. it was there. I could see it. Um, not that I can read your mind or I'm any type of you know, genius or, or, or doctor that, that knows everything, but we can see that. And in doing those things and knowing that it's there sometimes is enough to just know that it's there to battle it. Now, of course, you're not in a place where you're chronically depressed and you can't function at all. Uh, And hopefully you're not in a a place where there's just a very aggressive thing going on. Uh, Like you're not going to, you know, beat me up when we leave here or anything. I mean, you are Arkansas's strongest man in your weight class. (laughs) Um, So we, we don't want those issues, but the, the the reason that I bring this up honestly is that now that you are in a relationship, there may come times where you and your fiancé and then wife have disagreements that take you back to a space that's negative. Whether that's actually what's happening or whether that's just where your brain takes you, yeah. we got to be able to say, okay, I, I see that moment. I know what's happening here to be able to stop that from Mm -hmm. taking place. Um, For instance, uh, if you're lifting weights and you mid-lifting know that you're about to hurt yourself, Mm -hmm. you don't continue to lift, right? You put the weights down. If you know that you're about to hurt yourself seriously. You said mid-lift. Mid-lift. So the middle of a rep? Yes. Before it's executed fully? Yes. No, I go all the way. Okay. And then well, after that, I quit. Okay. The normal person, <laughs> typically, I'll say myself, if I feel like I'm at a place where I'm about to hurt myself physically, mm-hmm. I let go. Yeah. Um, and with you being more of a competitive nature, obviously, you would continue to lift. Um, because, you know, sometimes, and I'm not saying this to you, but sometimes we look at our battle scars as trophies, you know, that, hey, I did this, but I tore this or I did that. and But I did it. I still did it mm-hmm. in all of that. Um, we we got to be careful in those areas. So my advice to you would simply be to make sure that you take time to really think about what you've been through so that you can not bring those emotions to the forefront, but to realize how grateful you are that you're not in those places anymore. And I know that you are grateful. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, you have communicated that well, but it it gets us to a point of where, okay, I'm not repressing this because I know about it, but I'm processing this hurt so that 
if something happens here, I don't automatically default to the personality that I had in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do that, especially going into new relationships, going into a new job, whatever the case may be, to know that we're standing on solid ground. Now, one other thing that that I wanted to mention here uh, as we're getting close to being done here is that you and your fiance have been engaged how long now? April. Okay. So April of this year. Yes. And then she graduated college and now she got a job or a place, something in Arizona. She graduated college before we met. Okay. She's graduating a special specialized okay. program. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, at the end of this month. Okay. Then we and, move. And so she took a job in Phoenix. Yes. And that was, I'm going to presume that was a difficult decision for you to say, okay, I'll move with you. Mm-hmm. In that thought pattern, what did you feel like you were about to lose when you left? My business. Okay. I run a business now. Mm-hmm. And I did not want to start over because that's exactly what I would have to do. Would you? Would it be fair to say that you would feel like a failure because you had to leave your business? No. Okay. So it's what, just a mild stepping stone that I will overcome. That's all it is. Right. And but in in the beginning you didn't feel that way. In the beginning you had to process that to say, okay, this relationship is worth mm-hmm. starting over. This relationship is worth moving. I away. process everything. Yeah. You know, and to go back to what we we're talking about five minutes ago, mm-hmm. um, I still process all my emotions. Mm-hmm. So I don't act out on who I was yeah. eight years ago, which is why I would say that I still don't think I'm depressed. I'm just having mm-hmm. a temporary mm-hmm. tough time. Yeah. And I understand how I feel, mm-hmm. but I always stop to process. So I don't ultimately say something stupid or act out stupid. I wish I could not say something stupid or act out stupid. Maybe I can learn that from Sometimes you. I process and do it yeah. anyway, <laughs> but I still sit yeah. down and I try to take the emotion away from the mm-hmm. logic. Yeah. That's what I've learned in the past mm-hmm. couple of years. Yeah. And and obviously you have grown from all of this instead of just digging yourself deeper in a hole yeah. of, of isolation. So you got in contact with people where you're moving to. Yes, I'm um, happy. And and that relieved some of that that tension or maybe even uncertainty with the move. Mm-hmm. So in essence, what you have done is you have built community without being there yet. Yep. And that is so important for our mental health is that when we do make those big steps, that we know that we have community where we're going, whether that is that um, as, a, as a realtor, you have a company that you're going to work for or a broker that you're going to be a part of or that you have put together a strategic plan to open another business. Whatever it is, it's so important for us to have that plan. Now, as someone who is competitive in, in weightlifting, it was also important for you to have a plan there too. It wasn't just that, okay, I'm going to do this. You had to prepare Oh, yeah. For that competition. Mm-hmm. And even now, we discussed earlier that you're always trying to grow in lifting and in that that area. So how important in your in your thought, how important is it for an individual to have goals and something to always be working toward just in everyday life? It's extremely important. 
you know, we always have to have something to look forward to. Yes. And if we don't have something to look forward to, then it's easy to regress back in that depressive mm-hmm. state and feel like nobody cares, nobody loves us, and then act out on those things and and ruin everything for ourselves. And then we get back into that suicidal point. So, but you are moving. You've built community there. You're mm-hmm. excited about it. Do you oh, have there. a date plan for a wedding yet? Wedding? No. Yeah. So she's not told you when you're getting married yet. You just know you're getting married. This is that tell me things. I, <laughs> I'm going to say this right on the air. I don't take orders. I understand. I understand. We've discussed um, a season, mm-hmm. but uh, we've also talked that getting a place to stay and mm-hmm. building some money and a foundation and starting sure. our careers is more important right sure. now. And then we can have that talk and start getting more intricate plans put into place. Sure. Yeah. But it is a plan. It's not something you're just going to do. Oh, you I don't know. know. Yeah. This is the last time I do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about marriage. <laughs> the mar- the wedding is a plan. It's oh, not yeah. something you're just going to say, okay, well, let's go get married next week. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no, it's no, no, going no. to be planned out. Now, those there are those of us who can live in that spontaneity. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your state, I think it's very important that you have a plan and it's well thought through. Concrete. And, and nothing changes right. the day before. Right. And, and so that's kind of what we do and where we go. If you as a person who has survived a suicide attempt, mm-hmm. who has worked through depression, mm-hmm. if there was one piece of advice that you could give to our listeners as to how you survived, what would that advice be? It does not stay shitty forever, and it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean— I don't want to get on here and say that get you a support system because mm-hmm. I purposely chose not to have that, even though I did have it. And I still dug my way out. Maybe I would have dug out a little quicker, but I think I came out just mentally stronger. Like I dare the devil to come try and make me do it again today because mm-hmm. he, he can fuck off. It's not going to yeah. happen. Where did you find that strength, though, to be able to get to that point to say that? Man. I could just think of the angry music mm-hmm. and in the gym by myself at like two in the morning after my late night job um, and just maybe having a hobby to battle whatever I needed to battle with then and there. And then just constant reminders. I have a little list of things where it, you know it says like, talk to yourself better. Mm-hmm. You're doing okay. Yeah. Lose the expectations. I still mm-hmm. have them, but I think they're more realistic now than when I was younger. Yeah. And it took a long time. Like I said, I'm 31 just now. I would say getting my shit together. I don't know because when you're in that moment, you don't everything people tell you about it's going to be okay. Blah mm-hmm. blah blah. You're just like, yeah, that's BS. Mm-hmm. That doesn't help me right now. Right. But it is. Mm-hmm. It can't stay shitty forever. Mm-hmm. At some point, things get better, and you just got to take it apart and make a, a reverse engineer plan for everything. Yeah, one day at a time. It literally. One day at a time. Um, But one of the key things you said there was that you listened to music and you went and worked out. And that was a coping mechanism, whether you realized it then or not. Oh, I knew it Um, was then. That was, and it's so important for us to, even if it's a hobby, Mm -hmm. that we make ourselves do it. Yeah. Even though we don't want to, we don't feel like it. But to close this all up, I wanted to say one other thing because you, you said people told you it would get better, this kind of thing. And in the moment, you know, and then you talked about now that you have this list of things that that um, that you read and use as affirmation. Mm-hmm. So many times we look to people for affirmation, 
And if we gain value by somebody else, then we are giving them an incredible power over us. Yep. Because the power that you give them to value you Mm -hmm. is the same power they will have then to devalue Mm -hmm. you. And so that happiness, that affirmation, you've got to find in yourself. Comes from me. And honestly, I struggled for many years with religion, Mm -hmm. but every morning I've got a little book about prayers for men. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of my affirmations from that. Yeah. And I'm okay with getting that from Jesus Christ. I'm good with that. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't really care about what people think of me. Yeah. Chris is nice. Chris is not nice. Mm-hmm. Doesn't pay my bills and does make me feel better. Right. I affirm myself every day. I did. Which is why I like being strong as shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which reminds me, I was doing marriage counseling one time and uh, this this woman would not work. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the thing. They needed dual income, but she would not work. And um, she said, you can't divorce me. I love you. And he looked at her and said, love doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't. And uh, that was, you know, you're not supposed to laugh, but I wanted to really laugh in that moment. But uh, Christopher, how can people find you uh, if they would like to reach out or if they're in Phoenix, Arizona area and want to buy a home, mm-hmm. how would how would they find you? I'm obviously on social media, Christopher Locks. I don't think there's many of us in this country. <laughs> Um, the nice looking blonde guy. Um, <laughs> I'm not blonde. <laughs> and then uh, eventually I'll have property tour videos on YouTube and stuff. But gotcha. I mean, for the most part, I'm not like crazy put myself out there. Yeah. Gotcha. So um, we'll we'll throw some of that social media contacts in yeah. the description of this podcast. Um, also, um, I'm Doc Brian. You can find me at thedocbrian.com. All of my social media links are there at the bottom of our website. Doc Talks is a part of Be Frank Network. You can find all of our podcasts there at befranknetwork.com. Christopher, I just keep wanting to call you Chris. Christopher. Everybody does, and I got to yeah. be difficult. I really yeah. do. Hey, it's okay. It's your name. I'm. It's your name. I'm. I'm actually making it difficult on purpose for yeah. a lot of folks because yeah. I'm low-key rude. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> Dale Carnegie said the sweetest sound you'll ever hear is your name pronounced properly. Oh, yes. Many syllables there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Christopher, it's good to have you with us today. Thank you so and, much. And thank you for sharing your story. Oh, thank you. All right. We will see you next time. Take care. <laughs>